on backroom politics. Hey, you know that agenda we post on our website? That's gone. We've got Supreme Court rulings. We've got Edward Snowden. We've got a new Commerce Secretary. Oh, and by the way, we're going to talk about the failed farm bill and why the House is so dysfunctional. This and tell me a story today on Backroom Politics. Live from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., this is Backroom Politics. To join the discussion, you can call toll-free 1-877-662-3713. And now, the moderator of Backroom Politics, Justin Russell. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. This is Backroom Politics Live on Block Talk Radio from... Shelley's back room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's the best talk show you've never heard of, and joining me as they do every Tuesday, he is the former eight-term member of Congress representing Washington's 2nd Congressional District. He is the Emmy Award-winning Congressman Al Swift. Hi, Congressman. Hi, how are you besides hot? I, uh, it's hot in town. Good yeah. Lord, it's going to be a hot summer. At 2 by 11 o'clock, as he is every Tuesday, he is the former floor chief for then, Congressman Gerald R. Ford. He is the former vice president of government affairs for the National Broadcasting Corporation. He is the Honorable Bob Hines. Hi, Bob. Hello, Justin, and I want you to know that I'm leaving town, but I'm going someplace where it's cool. Yeah, yes, same here. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. And to my 12 o'clock, she is the former general counsel for the House Committee on Homeland Security, Obama, former Obama appointee as general counsel to the Maritime Administration. She's the Honorable Denise Krep. Hi, Denise. Hello, Justin. How are you? Uh, doing fantastic. And to her left is the former Undersecretary of Commerce. He is a longtime Senate staffer who has worked for, last count, four presidents. He is a very distinguished, handsome, and very almost hearty fellow from the Stimson Center. He is the Honorable Alan Moore. Hi, Alan. Hello, Justin, and uh, let me uh, welcome all of our listeners, both old and new. And we'll, new, yes. We'll try to keep we're, them uh, c- keep this uh, both interesting and entertaining. Our numbers are growing as we speak, and to my right, ironically, he is the former Executive Director of the Democratic Party of the Great State of Maryland. He is longtime Washington Insider, Carl Tubin. Hello, Carl. Hello, Justin. It is good to see you, everybody. Hey, we've got so much to talk about. Let's start right now with the big breaking news today. Around 10 a.m. this morning, the Supreme Court issued a ruling uh, in Shelby, Shelby County, Alabama versus Eric Holder. It is, a, it is a ruling that called into question parts of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, which is supposedly supposed to take away discrimination in voting. Well, in a very odd ruling today, it appears that the Supreme Court has held that the the Section 4 part of the uh, Voting Rights Act is unconstitutional and whereby Section 5 is now rendered useless. So, basically, the Supreme Court punted back to Congress and saying, fix this. This has gotten Washington all abuzz today. First, Denise, I'm going to start with you. From a Democratic standpoint, why is this ruling just riled up everybody in the Democratic and the social justice community? Because, yes, there's still problems with 
with voting rights. I mean, when you look at the state of Mississippi, which has the majority population of African Americans, but they only have one member of Congress who's African American, you, you bring up issues of, of problems with voting, you bring up problems of gerrymandering, you bring up problems where people cannot vote because people are trying not to let them vote. And this is still occurring, by the way, 50 years after the death of Medgar Evers. Yeah, but, crazy. but Denise, we're, we're talking about, and, and, and ironically, in the ruling, the Supreme Court justices, and I'll cover who voted in the affirmative and who uh, dissented, but in the ruling, they call out certain numbers that say, wait a minute, the discrimination laws from even back in the, the discrimination in voting, even from back in the 60s, aren't existent. You're talking about a state where Mississippi is one of the supposed to be the keystones of this. They now have black voters outnumbering white voters by 3%. And Justin, this is the same week that Paula Dean said what she said in her deposition. So wow. we still have people saying what they're saying. Had to go page six on us, didn't you? Well, wow. Oh, Alan Moore. Alan Moore. When we, you know, from an overarching perspective, this has got a lot of people in the Democratic Party shaken up right now. Are they justified in this? Well, I, I think there there is some justification on on the part of some, and there's some uh, head scratching going on. Uh, I hadn't made the uh, Paula Dean connection. Neither did I. I was kind of I was kind of surprised that that her use of uh, of uh, inflammatory rhetoric should inform uh, the Supreme Court. But hey, whatever. Um, what what we've got is a 50 year old law that was aimed at the world 50 years ago, and the world has changed a lot, and that's what the Supreme Court has said. The Supreme Court is not saying there's no problem out there. The Supreme Court said you can't use this data to pick on these 15 states. Some may be fine. Some may be worse. Some local jurisdictions have changed. You need to update your law. Now, what's curious about this is Congress just reauthorized this law a couple of years ago. So you got this, you got a bunch of conservative justices who are saying, we're going to second guess the Congress because this is a, but you bring up a good recently reauthorized law. So there's strange bedfellows. You you, you bring up an interesting point. Every time this law has been brought up for reauthorization, it was reauthorized for five years. In 2006, they reauthorized it for 25 years, which is going, wait a minute. This, they basically set up this thing for failure. And oh, by the way, it was a Pelosi-led Democratic Congress that did this. Well, in 1965, when they first passed this, they said, this is sort of a temporary fix. It's kind of rough justice. We're going to have special rules for these 15 states. But then we'll change down the road. They didn't change. 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 The Supreme Court finally said, you know something? you got to change. This doesn't work anymore. The law itself has an unconstitutional result. But, Bob Hines, when we look at the Republican reaction to this, they're basically saying, look, the law did its job. I have, you know, I, I was talking to several people, several friends of mine uh, here in, in D.C. That, that are familiar uh, with the law. I had one guy say, hey, look, um, you're talking uh, that this is a law that has been good for the Republican and majority-minority districts, this is warped. Why all the hubbub now? The hubbub now is because the courts jumped in. 
uh, and they're going to have, and they're, the Congress is going to have to, uh, in effect, rewrite the criteria that states have to meet. And as, as we were talking earlier before we went on the air, a number of the southern states uh, now have uh, voting populations, larger number than black than they do whites. I don't know if that, if that is because, just because of the law or because of birth, uh, you know, birth rates or whatever. But it's a good sign. But, and but, it's, it's, it's because of things like that that the Supreme Court has said, we, you know, we have to change the criteria. We are not saying there shouldn't be criteria and there should be continuous oversight, but they want to see the law fixed. I want to go back to that, but Congressman, now you have a comment. I think it is foolish to suggest that nothing has changed since this law was originally passed. The question is, has it changed enough? And has it changed in the right ways? For example, uh, you pointed out that Mississippi has a majority of black uh, voters, and but only one congressional district. Now, that would suggest that the techniques used to tamp down black influence on things have changed. Instead of not letting them vote, uh, they gerrymander so that their votes are minimized. So, yeah, it, so, so sure, this needs some change, but the fact is, I think most people who are, are using the but what everything's changed argument are not suggesting that we need to do something else. They're suggesting we can abandon the law. And, and by the but way, that's you, not what the court said. Oh, oh, hold on. By the way, if you want to join the conversation, call in toll free 877-662-3713. Again, toll free 877-662-3713. Alan Moore, to your point. The court did not say everything's fixed, everything's fine. The court said the, the court said these old rules from 50 years ago don't work anymore, and they lead to an unconstitutional result. Therefore, it is up to the Congress to take another look and come up with some rules that work, that reflect the current reality rather than what existed 50 Congress years ago. Right. I heard it when you said that the first time, and I think that you're absolutely right. When Congress gets a hold of it, though, it's going to shortcut that, and it's going to go for you watch me. Uh, watch them. The whole South is going to say the court has said we don't need these anymore, and that's, that's as you point out, not what the court but said. Wait a minute. But that's what's likely to happen. But that's what the South is going to do. I mean, Justin, you and I both come from the South. I may have gotten the cotton out of my mouth, and I was told to do that by a nice, smart Yankee 20 years ago. But that is what the South is going to say. They're going to say that the Supreme Court came out with this decision and said, you know, we're fine. Everything's great. We're all wonderful. We're all holding hands. And the answer to that is, no, we're not holding hands. As long as you have people like Paula Dean making the statements that she was making, and as long as you have members like my my former boss, Benny Thompson, being the only African-American in a state where it has a majority population. Well, you're talking population. about a situation of gerrymandering versus what the actual voting no, rights act is dealing with. What Congress has said is, People are getting a little smarter in how they ensure that other people don't vote. Carl Tubin. One of the things that the court alluded to, or, or maybe I think Ms. Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg alluded to, the court alluded to it, that this was taken from faulty information in 1972 and, and had not been updated. It, the other thing I'm afraid of is that this is going to open up the floodgates. All those states and all those people who are trying to suppress voters are going to be more energized now to do that by but, law. But, but let, let's be clear about one thing, though. In the court's ruling, the court did not call the Voting Rights Act unconstitutional. 
It called the preclearance formula of the Voting Rights Act unconstitutional, and therefore the Section 5 issue of getting the approval from Washington is rendered useless. It's the formula that everybody's coming into problems with. The Voting Rights Act as a whole has not been deemed unconstitutional. I think, is that part of the problem, Bob, is that we're looking too broad instead of looking at what the court actually ruled on? Well, anytime you, uh, the court deals with very sensitive issues and ra racial situations and voting rights are certainly very sensitive, you're going to have uh, a lot of the uh, folks on the side that the, co the court has adjusted the rules uh, complain because they like it the way it is. Now, that's understandable, and I, don't, I, I'm, I can understand how they feel that way. Let's see what happens. I mean, I said, I guess, just to, when Al and I were talking just before we went on the air, it looks like to me it's going to be an awfully heavy lift for the Congress to draft new criteria based upon statistical analysis of what the situation is today. I can't believe that they'll get that done before the next, the next election, and I'd be surprised if they got it done in, in some time, it's going to be very difficult, and I don't know what they're going to be doing with respect to in these states while things are up in the air. Carl Dubin. The other thing is, with the Congress, with the House, as divided as it is, with Tea Party, other Republicans, Democrats, the Democrats are going to want to do this, the minority, but they're going to have to, to work with some Republicans and try to get the Tea Party to see what this was originally and what it was supposed to do originally, then get the data of, of voting patterns and all in those districts to really see if they can come up with a correct case to do this and put this together. But, but, but wait, Chief Justice Roberts writing for the majority. Uh, now, now, oddly enough, it was Clarence Thomas that wrote a concurring uh, opinion, not attaching himself to the majority, but Chief Justice Roberts in the majority states, and I quote, from the uh, ruling, nearly 50 years later, things have changed dramatically. And they continue to say that uh, the tests and devices that blocked access have been forbidden nationwide for over 40 years, and that these conclusions are not our own. That's got to say that, wait a minute, we've been presented facts that say, hey, look, the old ways of discrimination in voting have changed. It's a different world. We are talking past each other here. Uh, maybe to clarify the point, let me do this. I will bet uh, a fine bottle of wine to anybody who wants to predict now that when the Congress acts, if it acts, when the Congress acts, it will act narrowly on those two sections and leave the rest alone. Anybody believe that? So I, what, I, I don't know. Alan Moore. I think the chances are decent that that'll happen. The, the Congress doesn't want to mess with this. That's why they kept passing it over and over and over again. Now they're going to be forced to take a look. Does that mean they're going to, going to dig in across the board the way they easily could have done, arguably should have done, sometime in the last 50 years? I don't know. Well, I don't I, know. I, I, I believe that given the fact that they have opened this up, there will be a strong effort on the part of some in Congress to go in and rewrite it much more broadly than the Supreme Court has invited them to, to broaden it. 
And as a result, I think you uh, will, will take several steps backward in terms of civil rights in the South. Yeah, but, but again, the majority ruling, quote, and, and I'm quoting directly from the ruling, blatant discriminatory evasions of federal decrees are now rare. How do you justify? How do you justify saying, "Hey, look, you guys have met the requirements. Let by we'll uphold the Voting Rights Act, but no need for preclearance anymore." Denise Crow. Just I, I have to just disagree with Chief Justice Roberts. And so when you say the blatant is no longer there, okay, great. You know, about 40, 50 years ago, what people put in, in laws and in contracts were covenants, things that. Jewish people couldn't live here. Catholic people couldn't people. Gay people couldn't live in, in certain houses. They were a little bit more obvious. Then we went a little bit more underground, and then we just kind of said, if you don't have a voting card, then you can't vote. Now we're doing different things. But if you're telling me that there still isn't discrimination, I'm going to call hogwash. But the, 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 the majority ruling also states, and I quote, minority candidates hold office, hold office at unprecedented levels. Right. No, no, but they include local, county, state, Elections. Hey, Justin, is there a female president yet? No, doesn't mean that we're discriminating. It doesn't mean we're violating the Voting Rights Act. Right. How about Hispanic president? Again, it does not mean that we're violating the Voting Rights Act. Paula Dean for president. Well, I mean, Ruby for vice president. Uh, easy, kids, easy, 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 kids. <laughs> Bob Hines here. Hold on, Bob Hines here. Come with that, Alan. You know, I, I've listened to this conversation, and several times the idea of uh, gerrymandering comes up. Um, my my colleague on my right, and he is rarely on my right, Mr. Swift, but he is here. He, he sits to my right. Have for a number of number of years thought that the the way that the Congress and the state legislators played a game of redistricting is one of the worst possible situations that we have in our national government. And I think I would just love it if one way or another redistricting with compact and contiguous districts, keeping communities together. If that were to be done, it would resolve so much of what we have just been talking about for the last half hour. I agree. You, Everybody seems to agree with that. Now, the, the big part, Congressman, now you got to comment. And, and what I'm saying is that when the Supreme Court said a lot has changed, the, the ways of discrimination have changed, too. And so when How they so? Said, Bob just explained that, weren't you listening? I was. I want to hear your take. Well, my take is the same as his. One of the major ways that they are re are doing that is through redistricting, uh, and they're and, and, and as I, I said a while ago, of repeating her that in Mississippi you have a majority of black voters, but you have only one uh, out of the congressional delegation who is black. That's due to gerrymandering, but, but pure getting, and simple. But now we're getting so what I'm saying is, is, is if, they want to, if they want to set this back and, and meet the original intent of the Voting Rights Act, they need to do some other things. But, but and now, it may be absolutely accurate that uh, the uh, way it was measured then uh, works out okay now, but Alan Moore, you still have you still have discrimination, and you need to address that. Alan Moore, I'm gonna let you go. And then I'll have my comment. Yeah, I just I hate to be the guy that brings up this pesky thing called facts, but I was just looking at some data on Mississippi, 
And in, in the last presidential election, the, the, the white vote was 62%, the black vote was 33%, Latino vote, vote 3.6%. So there continues to be a majority white population. They're not all Republicans, they're not all Democrats. There are four representatives in Mississippi in the Congress, one of whom is, is the, the long-time uh, mentioned Benny Thompson. The other three are white. They've also all changed in, uh, in recent years. So it's, it's not that it, it may be that they are white, but it, there, there's also some, some healthy competition there. I'm not here to defend Mississippi. I'm simply pointing out, and let's remember what the law did that was passed 50 years ago. It said, you 15 states, you're bad guys. And most of them were, probably all of them, probably a few others. Before you make any changes... You change your polling station location. You change a polling station, you change your congressional districts, you make any changes. You have to come hat in hand to the Department of Justice and say, please, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. People at the Department of Justice, is this okay? And in the overwhelming number of cases, increasingly, increasingly, increasingly with the passage of time, the Department of Justice has said, um, okay, or actually, no, you got to make this little change or this little change. It was humiliating for those states. Are they all good actors all the time? Heck no. But we haven't changed the standard by which they are judged, and that's what the court said. You can't do that. That doesn't work. But, but now we're getting into when we talk about gerrymandering, when we talk about what well, comes now, you keep doing the We're talk. still talking past Why are we still talking past each other? I have no idea. You know, what I, I are we talking past each other you are about? listening to, to, to what two of us are trying to say, the result of this in Congress. If you look at this from what Congress is going to do with it, it should scare the pants off of you. Yeah. But, but yeah. I, 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 I understand. I mean, when, when we talk about the Voting Rights Act, and we talk about gerrymandering, we're talking about, you're talking about, now we're getting into a larger issue, which, by the way, a lot of people are attaching to this. They're talking now, is this a state's rights issue? Is is state sovereignty finally confirmed right now? Congressman Al. Well, I, I certainly hope not. But I think we should, we should be bringing up some additional factors, and I think redistricting is, uh, is one. Uh, that, that needs to be uh, approached so that we can achieve the initial purpose of the Voting Rights Act. Bob Hines, you agree? Well, I do. I do think redistricting is a is a terrible problem. But I I would just make note of the fact that I think I may have said it earlier. I, I cannot imagine how difficult this is going to be on Capitol Hill uh, in both houses. It's going to be a very, very difficult thing because there are we are, as we have talked today we have we have indicated some of the emotional realities that uh, that just imbue this issue and it's going to be awfully hard to get people to think about it in an objective, stand back, look at it way and, and, and find the way to address the criteria and, and change it in a way that Solves continues to solve any problems that exist without be, without being what they are today, which is obviously broader than they need to be. And I wholeheartedly agree with right. that. Carl Tubin, but Carl Tubin, former yes. executive director of a state party in Maryland, why not bring this back to the states and let this be a true states' rights issue? Uh, <clears throat> because I think certain states would really make a 
make possibly more of a mess than the Congress would make. And that's hard to believe. But some of these states are so um, hell-bent on, on suppressing certain, certain voters, and they're going, to, they're going to stay that way no matter what. And but, that could be very dangerous. But Carl, I, I got to tell you, that, that sounds like political conspiracy theory here. You know, one party suppressing another party, one set of voters suppressing another set of voters. We've seen it. Are you suggesting that you are shocked that the Republican (laughs) Party has manipulated these things? You mean Mayor Daley didn't do that in Chicago during his heyday? Come on, he did it. And and the Republican Party, starting with Richard Nixon, did it. 50 years ago in the South, it was Democrats who were doing it. All right, hold the phone. Denise Craig, you had a comment. South Carolina, where you've got a state that re-elected a gentleman who walked the Appalachian Trail, but oops, wasn't in the Appalachian Trail, was in Argentina. So you, you, you've got a guy who's now representative of Congress who, while governor, cheated on his wife, went down to Argentina, is now back in office, and it's doing who knows what. So if you're asking me whether or not I trust the voters of South Carolina who just re-elected this one to be able to say, mm, maybe I should respect the rights of African Americans and others, I'm sorry. I've got some questions about that one. Alan, Alan Moore, did you think it was possible that we could take Mark Sanford and tie him in to the Supreme Court? I think that Mark Sanford and Paula Dean are, are just a, a remarkable couple with great potential. For swearing and doing, gosh knows what what else uh, together. Remember, remember what this what the court decided here. It, it said you can't use these old criteria that forced these 15 states to come hat in hand before making a change to get permission. But that doesn't mean they can trample all over the rights of their of of, of the voters in those states. When they do that, you have to come to you have to come and, ra- and, and, and raise it in the courts. This isn't like taking the rights away. This says you don't have to get advanced permission. You don't have a carte blanche to do whatever the heck you want. Congressman now. They're doing it now. What makes you think they're going to stop? They're doing it now. They're, they're circumventing the, the, the Civil Rights Act. And, uh, and and while what the court says about the provisions of the Civil Rights Act not being as necessary as they once were may well be true, is probably true. But if you don't address the way they, that have been invented to circumvent those restrictions, you're going to be right back where you started when we passed the Civil Rights Act. So, Bob Hines, why not have the Federal Elections Commission govern redistricting? Why not have the Federal Elections Commission <laughs> Govern over voters' rights nationally. Well, I, I really don't want the Federal Election Commission trying to. I'm throwing that out there. there. I'm the moderator. That. I got to throw this out there. Well, throw it back. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. But it's not but, funny, but, but it raises it, no, it it a good issue. Wait, no, wait a minute now. Here we were talking about a, a gentleman who just got elected, former governor, got a girlfriend, Appalachian Trail. Look, the voters voted for him. We got a problem here in this country, and it happens to be we got a lot of voters who are a pain in the neck to the country. I mean, we all like voters. We all think everybody should vote. But the fact of the matter is some of the people who are voting again, don't know what they're doing. We're talking about misinformed voters yeah. Yeah. as it relates to the Supreme Court ruling? 
I'm responding to one of my colleagues who I think we have to realize we're going to have these problems. We can't solve. We cannot solve dumb voters. My whole point was you, you said let's give it back to the state. And the whole point that I was raising and, and Denise was raising and, and is, is the, states, the states can make a mess of it as the Congress can make a mess of it. And we're not going to get anywhere that way. So, Alan Moore, you want to take this one? I, I don't even know what this one is now. <laughs> we have been so far afield and all over the lot. I, I think that, uh, you know, well, it'll, it'll, it'll remain to be seen. I do want to respond to Al's challenge on a bet, though. Al, around this table, if you make a bet and you lose, and, or, and you win the bet, forget it. You'll never collect. Oh, hey, hey, hey. hey that's a tag. That's a tag on me. That's a tag on me. Oh, yes, it is. Call to me. One other point. Um, in states, in some states, in some states where they've made commissions to do the redistricting, have have, have messed up thoroughly. I mean, they, Maryland is a good example. Well, Maryland, Maryland yeah. gerrymandered. Maryland gerrymandered. Yeah, as in as in but North Carolina, as does Florida. Look at California, where they had two or three members running against one another, and and you know which was a disaster. But. But, 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 again, but California had an independent commission that it created to set this up. That's yeah. what it, I said. It, and it created a lot, you know, it, it at least created for the future, if they can hold, some fairness. But let's face it, Republicans <laughs> in control, Democrats in control at the, after the, uh, the, the decennial uh, censuses all try to play this game. And remember about gerrymandering, one of the early objectives of gerrymandering was to Guarantee some minority membership. That's probably lost its, uh, you know, its place in our history. But but uh, there's there's issues of equity that have jumped all around here. The only thing the court decided was, do you have to get advanced permission to do stuff? And they said, uh, you got to change the criteria. Well, for the record. The majority in this one, in a 5-4 decision, you had Chief Justice Roberts writing for the majority, in which Justices Scalia, Kennedy, Thomas, and Alito joined. Justice Thomas filed a concurring opinion. It was Ginsburg, Justices Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan who joined in the dissent. Ginsburg reading the dissent from the bench. Interesting point there. Something Justice Ginsburg feels very, very firmly about. Actually, it wasn't. It wasn't from the bench. She evidently came down uh, on the floor and, and read her uh, dissent. Okay. Well, anyway, even more unusual. Even more unusual. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna monitor this one because this one's gonna give us fodder for the next five years. When we come back, we're going to talk. Just when you thought Edward Snowden was gone, he's back and continuing to be a thorn in the side of the administration. This is Backroom Politics Live. From Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our ancient capital, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. Wow, a little bit of Fats Waller, Lulu back in town. And I, I tell you, when I am back in town or when any of my friends are back in town or, heck, when we're living here in town, we usually find ourselves down at Shelley's Back Room. 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Right across from the National Press Club. Why do we come here? Well, they've got the city's best cigar menu. 
the most diversified with some of the best-known brands and some that you might even know, but you might want to give it a try. Everything from Arturo Fuentes down to Zeno. You can go all the way from your $9 little petite girly flavored cigars all the way up to the Opus X Lost City. They have a cigar for everybody. Mild, medium, strong, heavy. However you want to smoke it, it's available here at Shelly's Back Room. Come in, have Bob, Na, or any one of the girls show you what the right cigar might be for your taste that evening. Again, Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob likes to put it, it is definitely the place to be. You can tell the mailman not to call I ain't coming home until the fall And again I might not get back home at all Lula's back in town Charges. They are criminal charges. They're criminal charges. And they're very serious. 
They're very serious charges. Um, this is a, such an odd one. I mean, you want to be nervous, and then you kind of want to chuckle. Um, but one thing that's very clear is that China and Russia want to stick it up America's backside and up the president's backside. Um, this is a chance for them. I think they've made a calculation that they can do this with relative impunity. Watch America squirm. Watch America be embarrassed. I hope that that's not how it plays out. I hope we have some spine above our backsides and that, and that we can find some very subtle, quiet ways to extract a little flesh from these guys who had not that much to lose and arguably something to gain. They just don't fear us, but so they can stick it up. But Denise Kraft, you know, you've got, you've got Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, basically coming out saying, oh, no, 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 no. We want him gone. We don't even want him here. Get him out of here. He's not in Russia. Now, technically, after the State Department and the Secretary of State, the, uh, members of Congress and the White House are all vilifying Russia for taking him in and aiding and abetting him, Putin comes out and says, wait a minute, he's not even here. He hasn't gone through customs. He has not gone through immigration. He's in a holding lounge somewhere in a Moscow International Airport, which under the International Civil Aviation Organization rules, he's not in Russia. So he goes, hey, not my problem. This is a black eye towards the administration, don't you think? Oh, it's an absolute black eye. It's a black eye, and I have to agree with Alan. I also have to wonder what Putin's uh, lawyers are saying right now when when, they, when he says he's not in Russia. The last time I looked, if you were on terra firma, notwithstanding with what ICAO is saying under international agreements, you are still on terra firma, and terra firma means you are in Russia. But not under technically the jurisdiction of Russian authorities, though. Bob Hines. Mr. Putin runs a government of lawlessness. He could do anything he wants to do and make it stick. If he wanted to do it, he could do it, and it wouldn't make any difference at all. He doesn't want to do it. He's going to let him get away with it, and I think that uh, Denise is exactly right. I think that I think the, the fellow is going to just just stick his nose at stick his nose at Call to it. Call yeah, too. I'm wondering how many Russian uh, interrogators were in this space asking him questions and trying to get information out of them that Russia would like to know about what the United States did to them during a certain period of time. Sure. Congressman Al, as a former member of Congress, you've got to sit there and say, wait a minute, one man's whistleblower is another man's uh, spy, another man's uh, treasonous act. One of the things that struck me in the years I served in Congress was that uh, with situations like this, everybody is asking the same question. Usually it's a very relevant question, and, and we've just been discussing it, and forgetting some other questions that are worth asking. I would like to know who this contractor was and how they managed to hire someone who doesn't even have a high school education. Why did he get into this position in the first place? Now, that's not the central issue. I understand that. But it seems to me that if we're going to fix this, ultimately, we need to go back and figure out what the hell went wrong there and fix that, too. 
you know, oddly enough, these crap. One of the th- one of the uh, revelations that came out in this Edward Snowden thing was something that came out last Thursday, where now all of a sudden, the Office of Personnel Management in the U.S. government, the one who issues the clearances and does the background investigations, and now OPM is now in the crosshairs because now they're saying they faked, quote unquote, sixty up to sixteen hundred background checks. That means that wait a minute, there's sixteen hundred people walking around that may not be secure, i.e. Ed Snowden, who they found out his background check was flawed. Well, and I'm willing to bet they faked it because they were under pressure to get everybody uh, a background check because there had been a backlog of background checks. And, they, you know, when I was in the administration and even when I was on the Hill, people were complaining and saying, why does it take six to nine months to get a background check? So that's probably how that happened. With regards to, um, you know, h- how did he get that background check? The bigger question is not only is OPM in the crosshairs, but the company that they outsource the background checks to is also in trouble. And my question is, why the heck are we outsourcing background checks to this, you know, to a second or third tier company? Well, this goes back, Bob, to a larger issue of contracting national security. You've got a contractor in Edward Snowden working for Booz Allen Hamilton. You've got a contractor working for OPM who did the background check on this contractor who was working up at NSA. Have we overly contracted our security? Well, I think uh, from what we're, I think yes, we probably have. I make, I'm sure there are other problems that we don't know about, and I, the idea that we, it takes, uh, if it takes six months to do it right, it ought to take six months to do it right. Even if we're behind on getting all the information we want, it's better that we get it late, later than we'd like, rather than we have people who are supposedly well-secured and, and have cleared checks fully and have ulterior motives in doing what uh, Snowden is doing. But later versus sooner, Alan Moore, we've got a situation right now where we've got a guy running around who potentially has some very security-damaging information. Right. He can just let out to any newspaper he wants to sell at the highest bidder. Yeah, we don't we don't know what all he's got. Uh, <laughs> he, he says he's got a lot. Um, his friends at uh, at the Guardian say they've got quite a bit more. That remains to be seen. Sadly, we'll probably find out before we're done what what he did have. Uh, on this question of of contracting stuff out, this is scary because if you take this guy, that Al probably wonders, how did this guy get a clearance? Because he's a an oddball and and uh, education, whatever. I mean, he, he obviously had some technical skills, and that's what they were looking for. But then on in terms of background check, it's well beyond technical skills. Is he trustworthy? He wasn't. It was a, it was a hurry-up operation with, with, with this outside contractor and then this other outside contractor doing the search, uh, doing, doing the check. What the heck is going on? And I'll bet that the NSA... Booz Allen, the big company contracting, and the small company that did these background checks, they're all quivering and shaking, as they should be, because they're all on the hook. And if there's one Snowden, there got to be other Snowdens out there. Well, we know 1,600 possible Snowdens well, that are out there right if now, we know according that. to the report that came out of GAO. You know, if, 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 I didn't see that report, so I don't know if it was 1,600 flawed checks or 1,600 flawed individuals. They're saying 1,600 faked background checks that they know of where 
The investigator did not do the full investigation, checked the boxes, and adjudicated them secure. And, and that's all I'm saying, that, that, we know that we know the background check was flawed. We don't know necessarily that those are individuals they all, are flawed. Are they all flawed, right. That, but, but even if somebody passes a background check, doesn't mean that they're totally reliable. Well, there have been plenty of spies and whistleblowers and, 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 and so on in, in our history who... Who uh, who worked for the government, who had all the necessary checks, and just decided to take things onto themselves to share information. Carl Cuban first, then Denise. I would, you know, I would, I would hope that by this time, the uh, person in the in the government who has responsibility for a lot of these contractors would be would be going and checking everybody who has a contract, or every person who has one of these contracts. To make sure that they are are um, okay people, and and to the, what you said, uh, I think all of these contractors are quaking in their boots because they've all had people all over the government, and the government could should crack down. All right, let, let me just jump in for full disclosure here, real quick. It's known that I used to work for one of these big contractors. I'm a former employee of General Dynamics, uh, federal employee of Antion, former employee of Avaya Government Solutions. I work for these people. When you get hired, they do their own background checks. That's just part of the hiring process. But, you know, this goes back to, well, why did Booz Allen's security team fall on the job in doing the same thing that OPM did? Denise Crow. Well, I'm going to shift the argument just a little bit. Um, it's my understanding that the rules after Sarbanes-Oxley put more responsibility on the heads of companies so that they could be personally sued in addition to being uh, professionally sued because they had to say they had to sign certain documentation saying that my finances are correct that you know all of all of my documentation is correct so I would be interested in seeing if the government goes after the head of Booz Allen the head of all of these companies that were involved and says in addition to going after Edward Snowden, we're going to go after you because you certified that all of your processes and procedures were correct and up to date. Bob Hines. I want to look at the next step. This this gentleman, Mr. Snowden, looks like he's going to go to Ecuador. Right. The president of Ecuador, Mr. what? Ruben Conares. You know, loves us like he loves a snake. You know, he just he is not a friend of America. Strikes me that one of the things we should do is make sure that we that Ecuador knows what we will do if Ecuador takes in this gentleman and protects him. There are things we can do. We have we have trade agreements with Ecuador. We could stop them all. Period. That'd be a wonderful idea. We could re, we could send all their their ambassador and his staff home. We could do any. We could do any number of things to put them, and they're a very poor country. And if we would do that, if we would just do the trade deal, the, but, but, the trade but, deal, but, we would do a serious blow to them, and that wouldn't bother us. But I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. But Bob, aren't we then putting the actions of one banana republic president and harming the welfare of the rest of the people in that country? Hey, that's their problem as far as I'm concerned. Wow. We have to if we're gonna defend ourselves, we have to be we have to be willing to say that we are serious about these things. 
Now, most countries aren't, you know, aren't basket cases, and our Ecuador will survive. But the point is, I think we need to make a statement. Our president needs to make a statement that America is serious about this, and that's one way to do it. And I want to touch on that in a second. Denise Kraft. I don't think they're going to care. I mean, prior to Correo coming in, the United States Coast Guard had a huge presence in uh, Ecuador because of the drug flight and the drug running that was occurring in Latin America. When Correa came in, he kicked us out. And for us to leave um, that base is a huge impact because it, both financially, fiscally, as well as operationally, because we didn't have the air capacity anymore. So if he's willing to kick us out merely because of drugs and guns, he's not going to care about the fact that he now has one of our most prime suspects in the biggest, you know, league of the century. Alan Moore. You know, I, I think that we that. Uh, we clearly need to make this hurt the countries that are participating in concealing and hiding Snowden. And I'm talking, as I said before, China, China and Russia. Russia, and then conceivably Ecuador, if that's where he ends up, conceivably Venezuela. We have more, but, but we have to be proportional, and in my mind, we have to be very, very quiet about it. The last thing you want to do is start throwing threats around to Russia and then back down. Um, so you 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 it, it's the old um, it, it's the old iron fist inside the velvet glove. They don't know what hits them. In the case of Ecuador, Ecuador does it, 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 as it happens is it's got some trade agreements that are coming up for renewal soon in the Congress. If Snowden is there, good luck getting them renewed. I am not saying, though, that that's the, that, that's the right answer, because I think I've read that something like 400,000 people, maybe 8% of the workforce in Ecuador, uh, relies on these trade agreements and are in export industries that benefit from them. So to get one guy, do we want to do harm to that, that much of the economy, sort of your point? Having said that, you have to do things that hurt, and hopefully they're well. And not hopefully, I am I'm certain that that some people a lot smarter than I on this subject are wrestling right now with what kinds of options are out there, how to communicate what our intentions could be, and and get their attention. Meanwhile, this guy Correa wants to be the new Hugo Chavez of of South America, so he may not care. And there may be collateral damage, and sometimes that happens. Let, let's look at the larger situation, though. What we have now, though, is an international issue, and it becomes an international credibility issue. Yeah. The Obama administration has really lost a lot of credibility in dealing with Snowden. It, 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 it's just mind-boggling that the administration keeps tripping over its own foot in dealing with this issue on a diplomatic level. Congressman, now you're kind of looking a little skewed for a second. Well, I, <clears throat> I'm not sure that it's a bunch of mistakes by the United States. Uh, it has to do with Snowden moving around pretty fast in ways that we really couldn't stop. But look, but look, look, at, look at the situation between Moscow and Russia on this. Moscow said, hey, it's not our problem. We want him gone. He, they look like they look like the they look like the uh, the vilified uh, the vilified victim in this. And what were we supposed to do about that? Well, Bob Hines. The, the biggest problem we've got right now is that the relationships that our leadership, our administration has with China, 
with Russia, uh, you know, it is just they don't give a damn for anything we, we care about. They think they can do anything they want to do. You know, it's surprising. China has a new leadership. They've got a lot of things they're going on in their country, and they've also got a lot of problems in the south side of Xi. See, they would like us to be, I'm sure, a helping hand in trying to help solve some of these problems with, with, with about six or eight different countries, all of whom are arguing about fishing rights and potential energy rights in some of these islands out there. And they're just sticking the finger in the president's eye. Putin is doing his is, is kicking his kicking the president in the butt with a shoe. I mean, they don't even they don't even pretend to be polite. So it seems to me Putin looks like a, a diplomat in this issue. Well, no, 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 no,
people who are journalists, like this 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 guy Greenwald for the Guardian, is saying, "Wait a minute, you can't arrest me. I'm a journalist." And, and but these and, and that's an interesting question because he's certainly redefining the role of journalist as he becomes a major spokesperson rather than a reporter. But the but the people from WikiLeaks who have been traveling with him, helping facilitate his travel, finding places to go, presumably buying tickets for him, they are aiding and abetting, and I think we should issue a whole bunch of of, uh, international indictments for anybody that we know has been assisting this international fugitive. Last point, though. I want to bring up Greenwald for a second, because Greenwald made an appearance on Meet the Press this weekend where David Gregory basically called him out and said, look, you know, if you are involved in helping him get to another spot, are you in fact aiding and abetting? Greenwald attacked David Gregory and said, how do you as a journalist even make that comment? You're an idiot. And I'm paraphrasing. He even calls him an idiot. But it strikes me that Greenwald claiming journalism, he's violating the biggest bastion of the fourth estate. He's making himself the story. Does that not take away his press pass as far as anybody, as far as any credential journalist is involved? I'll tell you what it does do, because I don't know the answer to that, and that was the question I was posing. It really complicates this whole matter, and, and this guy Greenwald really complicates in the Congress the desire to create a new journalist shield law. It's like, wait a second. Are we going to get ourselves into a position where these guys that offend the hell out of us, like Greenwald, on national television over and over again, are going to somehow get a free pass to do whatever they want for the future Edward Snowdens of the world? Good luck getting that law through. Carl Tubin, last word. The other thought is, Greenwald claims that he's got a lot of information that is our information. Is there anything... Well, there are. I know there are laws that protect the press, but shouldn't someone try to get that information back from him, or ask him to give it up willingly, so we can kind of get a a sense of what what he has? Greenwald keeps saying, "Oh, I've got things I could say and I could write, but I didn't write about them." Bob Hines, quickly. Oh, no, Alan Moore, last word. I think we should hire the Israeli secret police to come in and take care of this. Yeah, what a great thing. idea. Let's engage the Mossad. What a great idea. I'm going to say the seals. Oh, God, here we go. I'd say the mafia. Uh, why not? <laughs> yes. Hey, let's all, all of the above and Paula Jean. Hey, hey, you know what? I got an idea. Let's go get... Let's go get teamsters to go get him, too. Jeez, are you I say Batman. Hey, listen, wherever Jimmy Hoffa is, there's another room for somebody else. Oh, my God, I don't think you said that, Bob. That's horrible. That's horrible. You know what? We're going to go to break. It's happy hour. Not that we need it, but it's happy hour here at Backroom Politics, if you can't tell. It's time for us to order our drinks, order our cigars. When we come back, we're going to talk about the dysfunctional house. Not this one that we're in, the one up on Capitol Hill. We're talking about the one there on Independence Avenue. We'll be back. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back in three minutes. You know, here on Backroom Politics, you hear us order drinks uh, during happy hour, the second hour of Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. But what you don't understand is the quality of the drink that we're getting here at Shelly's Back Room. 
1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Backroom Politics premier sponsor. Hey, you got Dave Hammerly and the bar crew there at Shelly's Backroom that really know how to pour a drink. Whether it's something simple like my on-air Jack Daniels on the rocks with a splash of water, or whether it's something elaborate like what has to be the best martini in the District of Columbia for Congressman Al Swift. Wine selection, scotch selection that will blow your mind. They've got Highland scotches. They've got Isla Sky scotches blended, single malt, anything you want. Port wines to go with that great cigar from the great humidor. Down here at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Come on down, have a drink, and make some new friends. Or heck, just come on down and listen to Backroom Politics on Tuesdays. Senate 
wholeheartedly and go to the house where it was just decimated. It just blown up. We're seeing members of the House Republican Caucus now threaten a seated speaker of that house with his speakership. Why? Because they're talking about immigration. Good Lord. Congressman now, former seated member of Congress representing Washington's 2nd Congressional District, this is a dysfunction we've seen at a whole new level. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. There's no question. And I feel so sorry for John Boehner, who uh, is uh, a competent uh, congressman and a competent, I think would be a competent speaker under normal circumstances. But he has got a group of people who simply uh, don't believe that uh, they have uh, any loyalty to uh, him, to the party, to uh, to working together, uh, and as a result, uh, things fall apart on him. And it's uh, you know they, they really need to all go off and, and take a, a course in civics and understand what they're doing. And by the way, if you want to join the conversation, you can call us toll free eight seven seven. 662-3713. Again, that number, 877-662-3713. Switchboards are open. Bob Hines, you've spent a good amount of time around the house. How dysfunctional are you seeing it compared to when you actually walk the halls of Rayburn and Longworth? In Canada. In Canada. There is no comparison uh, to it, really. Uh, the closest thing I can I can relate that would be similar to it would be the election after that the, the congressional election after the Nixon um, uh, debacle. You're right. And the the number of Democrats who came in uh, bright, young, vigorous, smart, knew everything, bunch of people, much like the, the Tea Party. The only difference was they were extremely on the left as the Tea Party is extremely on the right. Now, what happened then was that over a few a few elections, some of them lost, but over time, they began to learn a little bit about how to deal how to would deal with being a congressperson and and at the same time, learning how to be a member and how to get things done. And fortunately, in those days, you had some pretty damn good leadership in the Democratic Party, and they helped a lot because they did. They knocked uh, a few heads quietly, and they did some things that had to be done. Uh, I think that uh, we might need a little bit. It's the, the Tea Party people are just at least as difficult to deal with, and maybe they're a little bit too new in the body to have learned enough. And quite frankly, given the fact that there are so many of them, it makes it's You know, when one-third of your majority uh, believe that they know more than anybody else, it's awfully hard to manage them. Congressman Allen? I think there was a, another time of, of great turmoil, and it was four years later when uh, Tip O'Neill was the speaker. But uh, the what, what did they call the, the, the conservative Democrats? Blue Dogs. Blue Dogs. Blue, Blue Dogs. No, 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 it was before the Blue Dogs. It was, uh, it was Bill Graham and that whole gang, uh, uh, and they had an... an You're talking about the Dixiecrats? No, it's not important. Anyway, keep going. But... but they were voting rather consistently with the Republicans. And what it amounted to was that the Republicans had the majority, but we had all the committee chairmanships. Uh, I loved it. <laughs> As a Republican, you would, Bob. Except what, what, what it did is they prevented the Democrats from 
from, from implementing their program, but they didn't have the, the, the wheels of power in order to be able to implement their program. So the Congress was pretty well screwed up then, too. That uh, uh, both of those worked out uh, in time, and I presume this will uh, work itself out in time. But in the meantime, they're making a uh, a, a very uh, good man look very weak, and it's uh, I, I think sad. Alan Moore, you know, Al, Al says uh, something very important here, and that is a, a reminder that uh, although this Congress is unique. We can't say it's just like anything else. But we can remind ourselves historically, Bob uh, mentioned 74 and Al 78, when this pendulum was swinging around and unpredictable things would occur and it would be messy and ugly and, un and unproductive and then it would eventually sort itself out. Some people would leave, would lose office or lose interest. Some would learn and, and develop. Um, it, it, it it's you hate to say let's be positive because eventually this too shall change because uh, that sounds awfully naive but it is important to remember that over the the sort of the, the longer sphere of of history uh, change does occur now in the case of this week's events remember what happened in the agriculture bill this was a bill it was a house bill it wasn't the senate bill and they were trying to put together this insidious ungodly union of big corporate agriculture interests and the food stamp program. Food stamps are about 83% of everything in that ag bill. Now, so you've, you've got these two things that don't really fit, but you put them together because it gives you a good strong, strong majority, and usually bad things happen both on the, on the farm piece and arguably on the food stamp piece. Then you've got, you got Eric Cantor the, uh, the, the the majority leader playing it a little too cute. So we can't give the Republicans a free pass. The Republicans were told by the Democrats, we'll come up with 40 votes for you. And that's it. Well, what happened was it wasn't 40 votes no matter what you do. And here comes Eric Cantor with, with a proposal that some of the Democrats found so odious relating to food stamps I'm not saying it is, but that's how they felt about it. And they said, that passed, now all bets are off. And it passed because a lot of Republicans who voted against the bill voted for it because they saw it as sort of a poison pill. But some of this blame, there's plenty of blame to go around, including right there inside Bob the leadership Hines of the House. And Colin Peterson, the senior Democrat on the Ag Committee, made it very clear to uh, Eric Cantor that if this amendment, if, if they were going to push the amendments through on the floor, that, that they, he could no longer promise 40 votes. So everybody knew what was going on. But, Congressman Al. I, I think it should be said that Bob has pointed out a time and I pointed out a time, but I can't remember in either of those cases where a bill as neutral as the aid bill uh, was ever lost by either side. I mean, it, it, it is worse today functionally than it was even during those chaotic times. And I think it's, it's a reminder that, that, that it's just really, really fragile. And if you have an understanding, which these guys had, because everybody got embarrassed here, particularly the speaker and, and the majority leader, 
they had an understanding, they had a deal, and then they messed with it a little yeah. bit, and it is so fragile that everything blew up. But, you're, you're, but Denise Kraft, you're talking about you know, Republicans that come from ag states. You're talking Kansas. You're talking Iowa. And these are people now that are putting poison pills into an ag bill that includes farm subsidies, food stamps, ethanol issues, and you're, you're basically blowing up a heartbeat of your economy. How does that happen? I, I don't know, Justin. I, I'm scratching my head. I, I mean, I, I spent more than one year of my life in North Carolina as well as in Georgia. And, and the ag community is the basis of those economies. I mean, when you're growing peanuts, you're growing soy, you're growing cotton, you're growing tobacco, you're, you're growing corn. I mean, those are commodities that employ a lot of people. So why you've got the disconnect between jobs and employment and poison pills is beyond me. I mean, I don't know what Cantor is doing. I mean, I I mean Bob Hines, you're, you're literally looking at talking about what Denise, following what Denise said is, these are jobs. These create jobs. These maintain jobs. And they're not minimum wage jobs. A lot of these are high-paying, farm worker, yeah. technical skilled jobs. Well, and it's also the food stamp programs. Now, and both of those things, both on the ag side and on the on the uh, uh, the, the, the food stamp bill, as Alan said, you know, it's a, it's an unholy alliance that has been blessed for at least as long as my uh, existence in Washington. I can't ever remember when there wasn't an Ag Bell movie. And it's always been that way because because from the standpoint of Republicans and Democrats, at least in, in 40 years, 50 years ago, they were willing to accept the other guy's needs to get their needs. There was a compromise. It was a deal. It was the, it was the, it was the preeminent example of how you put something together. And to the extent that there was conflict, it was between rural areas and urban areas, yeah. not between Republicans and Democrats. Right. But, but, but when we look at this, for example, the Farm Bill, you know, we're used to Democrats screwing Republicans and vice versa. You've got Republicans screwing other Republicans right now, and Democrats screwing other Democrats. There's no cross, there's no aisle. You noticed. It, but that <laughs> But, and yet, you, we continuously see Congress at single-digit approval levels. Are they not hearing this? No. 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 no I think they're hearing this, and they don't give a damn. Pardon my. Alan Moore. Who's there? The voters. The members. The members don't care. The individual. The, the individual members. You know, earlier in, in the earlier segment, we were talking about about uh, gerrymandering and the creation of these oddball districts. One of the the downs, the upside of special districts is it'll preserve a particular district for a particular party for a long time because you've got disproportionate number of members of one party or the other, and uh, sometimes everybody's sort of happy. Okay, you got your districts, we got ours. What happens though in the House, and this is partly what feeds the Tea Party movement and feeds the fear of members, particularly Republicans, is okay. I got a safe Republican district, but I'm not safe. I can be challenged from the right if I'm not pure enough, and that's what I'm concerned about, survival and hanging on to my job rather than cutting deals that probably make sense in the larger sense but are going to mess me up in my chances for re-election down the road. Congressman Al. I'm not a great uh, believer in conspiracy theories, but I have never really trusted uh, uh, Eric Cantor. Uh, it's just always seemed to me he has a lean and hungry look. And 
he for a long while was at odds with the speaker. Uh, presumably that's been patched over. But if he planted the poison pill in this, I asked the question, who's going to get blamed for not being able to run the House? The Speaker or the Majority Leader? Well, I think it's going to be the we're Speaker. Giving, and if the Speaker is defeated, the, the person who is still the next guy in line is Eric Cannon. Yeah, but wait a minute. We're, we're, giving, we're giving the Minority Leader in this a little bit of a pass. She's got some equal blame to hold herself. I'm sorry. Why does Nancy Pelosi get blamed for this one? Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is allowing her own party dysfunctional, uh, dysfunctional passes. You got Democrats eating other Democrats right now in, in, in the in the caucus. Okay. The Republicans still have the majority of the House. So for me, as a Democrat, I'm still thinking if you have the majority, which we have for several years, we actually passed some pieces of legislation. So why can't the Republicans pass their pieces of legislation? Well, uh, Alan Moore. Well, it, it's you know nobody has totally clean hands here. I'm the first one who raised this problem of of, of, of Eric Cantor. I don't think though that. I think that, that, that there's this great temptation, oh, let's put a little more on, let's do a little bit more, and it was a miscalculation. I don't think Eric Cantor was trying to make this explode, and I think it reflects badly on on all of the leadership, not just the speaker. And, and people are well aware that this was that this was Cantor's amendment, so I don't think this is part of his grand well, strategy. I don't believe in conspiracy theories, well, but it does occur to me. No, 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 no. I'm just saying on this, I, I'm perfectly willing to believe in them from time to time, but I, I don't think this one fits because I think that, that, that he himself was was too much in the middle of it. But, uh, I, don't but, but, I, think, but, but I think Pelosi, in her case, also found a reason to, to say we don't need to provide 40 votes. Let's squeeze them and embarrass them. So I think that uh, she wasn't an innocent bystander here either. She never yeah, Congressman Al. Well, but, but not in the same way that she wasn't able to control the party. Uh, that, that, that doesn't ring any bells to me at all. Uh, she she has control of the Democrats uh, and you know, whether she's up to playing games against the Republicans, uh, I think you have to plead her guilty of that. But the idea that it's because she wasn't able to function, I think, is totally wrong. Carl Tuvin? The other thing you have to look at, too, is that what, what's happening in the, in the House has impacted the Senate. Corker and uh, Hogan came up with an amendment to build a fence and put all this money into security. What was one of the reasons why they did it? Because they thought that if they had this amendment on the Senate bill, that it would be easier for conservatives in the House to to support immigration. And, you know, that's... Well, well Carl brings up the immigration bill. Now we've got, in, in the immigration bill, Republicans fighting amongst Republicans and taking pot shots at the Speaker. That's unheard of. I, you know, I remember a day when, you know, whether it was Tip O'Neill or, you know, any any powerful Republican speaker in the House, where if that had happened, I mean, e even under Steny Hoyer, if that had happened, you would have lost your committee, you would have lost all kinds of, of seniority if you were taking actively press-hungry pot shots at the speaker. Bob, how does that happen? Well, uh, 
remind yourself that uh, at the, at the uh, onslaught of this Congress back in January when it began, four members of uh, the, tea, the Tea Party class, the returning group, uh, were removed from their committees, their major committees, uh, by the Speaker because of their recalcitrance, and they were the worst of the worst. They lost their jobs, and they lost their ability to have major responsibilities in the floor of the House in committees. Uh, it, uh, it looks to me like instead of picking four, he should have picked 14 or 24. But that's, you know, I mean, he, he may not have gone far enough. He may have gone as far as he could. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, you know, the Speaker has a terrible problem. When you have one-third of your, uh, your majority, is a approximate, that's an approximate number, is Tea Party people, and of that number, maybe two-thirds of them are just ab absolutely rabid. Uh, the reality is that you, no matter, no matter who the speaker is, you can't remove 60 people from committees. You can't, you know, you just, right. you can't do it. Because then, then the whole thing falls. Well, then you don't have any committee members. Well, you don't have, you don't have a House of Representatives in function. It doesn't maybe function very well, but at least they can get together and get on the floor of the House and attack each other. Alan Moore. The, the fact of the matter, the leadership uh, in in uh, in the political leadership in both houses, both parties, and in the White House, has fewer arrows in the quiver to persuade people or punish people. As as Bob points out, this is kind of this is pretty heavy duty stuff when you say. You're off this committee, your cherished committee that you love to take credit for and use to raise money for political purposes and everything else because you were so disloyal so often. Um, but it used to be uh, another thing that happened at the beginning of this Congress uh, in the end of last Congress was we started moving away from earmarks, from the special spending provisions that were some of the oil that kept things working. Were they were they a good thing? No, they were odious and offensive, and it was arguably a waste of money. But did they have any redeeming quality? Yes, they helped things keep moving. So when a, a leader, please, please when stop, a leader, please stop you right when a real leader, quick. Please stop you real quick. Are you saying that earmarks were a grease that kept us functioning? That without in a Congress without earmarks is why we see the logjam? I'm saying that a Congress without earmarks greatly complicates and contributes to the logjams. You can't, you can't reward somebody. You can't cut deals to say, hey, I'll give you that, pro that, that bridge repair project that you've been, that you've been begging so for, and, 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 and you get a vote in return. Tom DeLay, in fact, overplayed the use of that to get votes, which is what brought earmarks into disrepute. Uh, he, he was the, very effective at it. He was very effective at passing out appropriations to people to get their votes. It's not that it was a new technique, but he carried it to such an extreme that it, it brought uh, <coughs> public attention. Denise Crap. I'm willing to say on the record and on air that I believe in earmarks. No, no, I want you to close I, to I am willing to say on the record and on air that I believe in earmarks, that I believe in earmarks because it helps the process. Not only does it so, help the process, it ensures that so infrastructure is built. So appropriating out of NOAA $500,000 to some oceanographic institute in New England to study how lobsters procreate is wise because we need it to grease the skids? Absolutely, because that 
study will create jobs in wherever it is so that I can have jobs in my own district.
Also during the weekend, it's football season. That means a lot of the regulars come down and enjoy their drinks and their favorite cigars, all while watching their favorite local teams, whether it's the Ravens, the Redskins, on several HD screens throughout the place. So remember, Shelly's Back Room, it's not just for happy hours anymore. 1331 F Street, the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., official sponsor of Backroom Politics. No one to talk with all by myself. No one to walk with, but I'm happy on the elevation, on the shelf. Hey, misbehaving, saving my love for you. And you, especially you, yeah. I know for certain the one I love. I'm through with flirting as you that I'm thinking of. Ain't misbehaving, saving all my love for you. Like that honor in a corner. Don't go nowhere. What do I care? Your kisses. About eight at my little radio Ain't misbehaving Saving my love for you For you, for you Yes, you All my love for you Yes, that's what I'm talking about And we're back here live in Shelley's back room 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital Washington, D.C. For those of you listening, is this better? Am I not screeching like a little girl anymore? Good Lord I'm, get, I get, I'm getting texts from people listening to the show. Good Lord. Hey, uh, it's our free-for-all time, and we're going to start off. I want to talk a little bit, I, I know, as like opposed to... Like the part wasn't free Yeah, exactly. I want to talk a little bit about Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio, the one shining star of the Republican Party, named as a possible contender for 2016, uh, has been taking a lot of hits by his base in the Tea Party side for his immigration bill and his involvement with the Gang of Eight on the Senate. The first question that comes to mind is, is this fair on Marco Rubio? I mean, Marco Rubio, I, I, I knew Marco Rubio when he was a state legislator in Tallahassee when I was lobbying there. Great guy, good, good politician, honest, solid, and a good Republican. Is it fair to Marco that he's taken the hits that he has from his own party, especially the Tea Party base? By mine. I think that the public should say to themselves, we could use more people like Marco Rubio, who, along with his colleagues in the Group of Eight, have worked long and hard to find a balanced piece of legislation. Balanced piece of legislation means one thing. It means everybody on the left doesn't get what they want. Everybody on the right doesn't get what they want. Republicans and Democrats, a Group of Eight, Senior guys, for the most part, have come together and put together a pretty strong package. Now, Mr. Rubio is having some problems with his Tea Party friends. They think, they thought six months ago, six weeks ago, maybe eight months ago, he was, he was, a, he was the perfect candidate for 2016. Now they're getting worried because, gee whiz, he actually talks to Democrats. And he actually does something that isn't way over on the right. He finds a solution to solve a problem. Now... It seems to me that uh, Mr. Rubio is, is, is the kind of legislator that you need, a man of principle 
who recognizes that he can't have everything, he'll get nothing if he asks for everything. And he, he's been trying to find middle ground, as have his other colleagues on the Democratic side, and I give them a lot of credit for the bill that's come out of the Senate. And it seems to me it, it's coming through the Senate, I should say, not out yet. But the idea that the Tea Party people would decide that after the last three or four years of thinking Marcus, Marcus Rubio is the greatest thing they could have ever seen, suddenly decide that he's not the greatest thing they've ever seen because he's trying to solve a legislative problem which has, which has bedeviled this country for 30 or 40 years. It seems to me that all that really says is, who's right? Is it the guy trying to solve the problem, or is it the people standing over there throwing mud at him because he's not pure? But Denise Kripp, are we are we seeing a point? Because we're seeing this with uh, with Democrats as well. But Marco Rubio seems to be the big target. Say the same thing. Around. He's being vilified by his base for literally talking to the other side of the aisle. Yeah, but Justin, since you did live in Florida, what is his base? Is his base the Tea Partiers? Because you and I both know what the makeup of the state of Florida looks like. Absolutely. I can tell you Miami 100%. looks much different when than he, the panhandle. When he, when he went in, I mean, remember, Marco Rubio came in almost last minute as a Senate candidate when he be, when he defeated Bill McCollum, a uh -huh. long-time Washington insider, yeah. and Marco won because he was an outsider. But he Marco have, is Cuban. Mar Marco is so still Cuban. how Party. is that? No, I don't it care. Was, uh, it, the Tea Party in Cuban is not the same thing. No, and no. Marco knows by the way, and that's what he's going to stay behind, is that whatever he does has to be good for the Cubans in Miami. My, my, I, I couldn't disagree with you more. He's still got an entire state that he's got to get behind him. He's got to get the Redneck yeah. Riviera in the Panhandle. He's got to get those Rednecks up in Clay County, as well as get the moderate vote down the I-4 corridor, as well as his old base. Now, when he was a state rep, and a state senator, absolutely. He had the Cuban mafia, he had the Cayocho crowd all day long. New ballgame. He got elected on the backs of the Tea Party because he was talking Tea Party politics. Yes, and when Marco and I were in law school, because we were in law school at the same time at the University of Miami, we had a very interesting incident occur. That was the Ilian Gonzalez case. And during that middle ball of that, the former head of the Justice Department, who was from Miami, the then head of the Justice Department, Janet Reno. Janet Reno, was supposed to come and speak at Miami. She was disinvited because they were afraid that if she came, because she said we were going to return Elian Gonzalez, that it would create a mob scene in Miami. Or, as I want to put it, an S-storm. Yes, it would create an S-storm. So that was a very um, interesting occurrence to have occurred while he was in law school. And he knew what's going on. But you're talking, you're talking 25 years I ago. I don't care. Oh, stop. Because Denise. whatever happens to that immigration bill impacts the Cubans. Denise, and that is Denise. his solid base. Oh, Denise, Congressman now. she's right. now, I do know something about Florida Cubans. And uh, if he loses them, he can have all the Tea Party people he wants, and he's, he's going to be in serious trouble. So he's Carl Tubin. Go out of your mind. He's got a difficult... Did you guys, what, wait, did you guys actually watch the Senate race 
the same Senate race that I saw? Because apparently y'all are in like some orange-colored sky world. Against Bill McCollum? Bill McCollum. I'm going to leave there. Carl Dubin. You know, I'm going to say the same thing I said last week. If the immigration bill passes, he his stock will go up. In spite of the Tea Party, his stock will go up, and they will come along with it. Uh, if the immigration doesn't go, which I, and I think it's going to go, then he could he could be in trouble. But I think if he if he pulls out a victory out of this and helps to make a victory, he's going to be in good shape. This coming from a Democrat. Yeah. So, so, so first, for, first of all, let, let's remember that that the Spanish version of the S storm is the Caca storm. So that's what we would be talking about in the Spanish speaking area. To my friends, to my friends on Coyote the views of Alan Moore are his and his alone, Secondly, and not that of backroom politics. Secondly, oh, I, secondly I want to associate myself with with Carl here on if immigration passes, and I think it will. It will help him because that bill takes so long for anything to occur. It's longer than Obamacare. It takes forever. So it goes away. It isn't something that's going to feed the beast like some other issues that the Tea Party worries about. Well, look, look, let me be clear. I support Marco Rubio on the immigration bill. I think what he did and how he did it was exactly what we need in Washington. But it seems like that when you start talking about him as a possible nominee in 2016, all the Tea Parties come out and all the Republican hardline base come out and they start saying, wait a minute, he's not the Republican we voted in the office. Why? Because he made deals, which apparently is not well thought of in the Republican base. Well, remember who he's going to be up against if he's up, and I'm not so sure he's going to be a candidate. He's going to be up against Republican governors who are enjoying unprecedented support all over the country, and I'm going to ignore him. Good thinking. Uh, because I think that the guys who have a chance at winning a national election are going to be the guys who are, who are producing around the states that the governors are going to be the, the strongest other candidates. I don't think it's Rubio's time yet, although he could be on a ticket. And, uh, and now, that doesn't mean that the Republicans won't self-destruct again and nominate someone who can't win, but if they're going to, if they're going to come up with a winner, it's going to probably be a governor who has a proven record like a Chris Christie like a Chris Christie oh yeah now we're talking well and John Kasich and and and, uh, and Walker there's a bunch of guys who who have been climbing significantly in the polls because why because they've learned to govern in their states they've they've greatly improved their popularity because they're working across the aisle and getting stuff done that's why Rubio's doing this so he can run with Christie I don't. I think no. I I I would think that he is doing it because he thinks it's the right thing to do, and I think he is. And I think his his work on the uh, the Senate bill has been uh, has been phenomenally successful, and I and I really think that Gang of Eight has done one heck of a great job. I just wish there were that kind of cross pollination going on in the House, but it's not there yet. The bill is not working. The, the immigration effort looks like it's going to be a bunch of small piece bills, one at a time, popping out there. And you, I you don't think the is going to bust it up? I do. Alan Moore. Let's remember what happened here in this last week. This is called the 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 CBS. 
this is called. Margaret, we're we're on the air right now. We're on the air right now. This is called the CBO solution. The only reason that you had an amendment that could pass with 67 votes yesterday was because midst all the conversation and we have we have on this around this table trashed the heritage study that talked about a six trillion dollar price tag for this bill over the next 30 or 40 years. CBO came up and said, uh, actually, no. We have applied rigorous analysis. We see a savings of about $200 billion, billion over the next 10 years and nearly a trillion over the, 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 the full 20 years. Suddenly, there's money to be had. They took wait, a wait, chunk wait. of this money, $36 billion to apply to this god-awful everything for everybody on the border. Are you not the same one who said, I don't believe in the numbers? I said the heritage numbers were ridiculous, that everybody who looked at them said they were nuts. Then we got the CBO numbers, which we never had before, and suddenly we see a, a, a completely different picture from a credible source, unlike, uh, especially on issues like the numbers, the Heritage Foundation. So instead of costing $6 trillion, it was going to make a trillion, including $200 billion in the first 10 years. They took a chunk of that dough and said, hey, how about 20,000 new border guards? How about high-tech uh, uh, applications all over the the, the border. They have, they're throwing massive amounts of money. It got 67 votes. That was the CBO. That was just for closure. That was just for closure. No, 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 no. That was the vote on the on the Corker Hoven amendment yesterday. Right. It's basically a substitute amendment. It's got an extra 120 pages that includes all this border enhancement. 30, you're right. You're right. 35 you're right, billion. You're right. uh, I know, Justin. Um, <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> but thank you for the vote of confidence. Thirty let, let, let thirty-five the group, billion. Let the, group, let the group notice this was a good one. Wow. <laughs> and the, the, wow. the other thing is that the person who wrote the report, the person who wrote the report, was fired from the uh, Heritage Foundation because of other things that he was into. Good Lord. Good Lord. Wait a minute. Wait. No, no, no. Stop, 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 stop. We're not going to go into that. We don't know. We don't know the facts, but okay. I like that little moment of peace there. <laughs> so lost control of the show today. We're interrupting your business meeting. I got him taking swipes at me. Good Lord. Hey. <laughs> You're a target-rich environment. <laughs> All right. Bob Hines, what do you want to talk about? I don't have the faith. Oh, come on. Oh, I think that anybody who knows politics well in this town and has watched it for a while ought to be very, very sorry for the Speaker of the House. He's got the worst darn job I have ever seen. The House, it's been a long time since and I don't, I, I can't find a time in my own mind when the Speaker of the House had so many members of his own party that are more loyal to an ideology than they are to solving problems, coming, which is what they came to Washington to do. 
there have been difficulty time in times in the past, but I don't think it's ever been as bad as it is right now. And it's really very unfortunate because the gentleman who I'm talking about, John Boehner, is a deal maker. He has enough trouble trying to make a deal with the president, but the problem is the guys behind him are shooting him in the back. And it's just it's just terrible to see. It's unfortunate for me to see someone who I know and care about have that problem, but it's worse for the country. All right, good point. Uh, Denise Kraft, you guys have got to be happy on the Democratic side. You have a billionaire as the Secretary of Commerce. If anybody knows about commerce, it's the new Secretary of the Interior, Peggy Prince. And, and, and she commerce. does. Commerce, um, what did I say? You said interior. Interior, I'm sorry, yeah. commerce. What's going to be interesting over the next couple of months is liquid natural gas. When I was on the Hill, we were talking about the security or the importation of LNG, and all of a sudden we have become a country of um, excess, and we have excess LNG, and we are about to export it to countries like Japan and others. Now, certain um, entities have come out with studies, like the American Petroleum Institute and others, talking about the number of jobs and it could be anywhere between 74000 and about $350,000 350, per year from about 2016 to 2035. But what is not being said right now is how is all of that LNG going to be exported? And is it going to be exported on U.S. vessels with U.S. crews? That is an issue that is going to be bubbling over the next couple of months because Secretary of Transportation Perkari indicated that the future for U.S. mariners is in, is in energy, but the Department of Energy may not necessarily agree with that. So stay tuned to see how the Department of Energy and the Department of Transportation reconcile their differences on the use of U.S. mariners and U.S. vessels on exporting the LNG, which will create additional funding in substantial millions and billions of dollars for the U.S. government. Interesting. Congressman Al, you know, I want to take a side step here. Um, today, the President announced his big climate change program, and on Monday, reporters in the White House press corps were told that the President would not address the XL pipeline. Today, in breaking news, uh, the President said that he was going to strongly urge the State Department to approve the XL pipeline, and all the press corps going, what the heck? Is this a continuation of an ongoing problem inside the White House of they can't talk to anybody without screwing it up? I, I don't know whether that's the case or not. <clears throat> I do recall on this program some months ago during the campaign when the president said he was against that uh, or that he was not going to make a decision. I said, wait until he's elected, then he's going to approve it. Ta da, ta da. A gold star for Al Swift on that one. Uh, it's, because the, it's because the thing makes sense, and the environmentalists are obviously going to knee jerk against it. And uh, he didn't need to piss them off uh, during the election. Uh, but now I think he's. They're going to be angry, but what what can they do about it? So I, I it's just the media. It's it's I th I think it's the right thing to do. I think he, he kind of slipped it out quietly, uh, and I think it'll move ahead. Bob Hines. Uh Thank you, Al. Twice 
when we were when we had our little tell me a story twice, uh, once in January and once in February, I said he would do it in, by spring because it was the only smart thing to do and he was past the election. Thank you, Al, for pointing this out that it finally happened. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's summer. Yeah. It is summer. I know, so I was late, but what the hell. <laughs> you know what? Close enough for Congress work. Well, yeah, well, I, I think it's, uh, uh, it came out yesterday and today that not only was the IRS not only was the IRS looking at anything connected with the Tea Party, they were also looking at. Is this your tell me a story because we're not there yet? No, I'm bringing up the things. They also told uh, we're, we're investigating anything that had progressive in their name. So it, it just wasn't one and not the other. Plus, are you saying that the IRS scandal isn't a scandal? I'm saying the IRS scandal is looking less and less and less like a scandal. Now, I, I, I think what the IRS is doing now is good to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. Um, they, they also investigated a few years ago veterans groups, uh, uh, same kind of thing. And true story. Alan Moore, if, if uh, the IRS just yesterday said, oh, by the way, we were taking a look at progressive groups, too. It, it, if that's the truth, it reminds me of some advice that, or a comment Al made weeks ago, which was, they just need somebody who's run for county commissioner over there because they are, they are tone deaf on the subject of, of, uh, of, of politics. They're, they're fools and idiots, and this is perhaps another example because if they were looking at, if they were targeting progressives the same way they were targeting Tea Party and Patriot groups, then they should have been saying that weeks ago. My hunch is that they weren't dealing with them the same way, or they would have made that clear. So either they're they're dissembling now, or they're idiots, one or the other. Bob, I think they can be both. Yeah, I, I think they can be both, and I think they are both. I mean, obviously... If they, if if this was going to have any value to, in effect, knock down the idea that they were focusing on conservative groups, they would have been able to find find this information a month ago. After all, it's their it's their administration, it's their documents, it's right in front of them. They couldn't find them until now. So you know, it looks like this was one piece of paper in ten thousand that they finally were able to find. Carl Tuvin. It could have been. You know, he had all those interviews with all these different people who were doing these investigations, and it could have been that they tripped over it and found it. And there were for. Are you wait 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 a minute? Wait a minute. Oh there Carl. Were, Carl, come on. There were weeks when he wouldn't. There were weeks when he wouldn't release those. Uh, Oh, oh, so wait a minute, all of a sudden now Inspector Clouseau is running <laughs> the IRS? This is the government version yeah. of Immaculate Conception. Yeah, it suddenly appeared. <laughs> okay, you know what? Carl, no, no tell me a story know, for you. Know, no tell me a story for you. That's just good try, Carl. This is just shamelessly plugging the administration. You're done for today. Yeah, all right, we got ten minutes left in the show. It's time for Tell Me a Story. Mike. Used to be favorite part, but now it's turned into this wild S storm. Um, but we talk about buzz, innuendo, things happening in town that uh, we can scoop the other media outlets. Congressman, tell me a story. My story is this: 
that when the uh, Tea Party fades, we're going to find that the Democrats, and the focus turns on the Democrats, we're going to find that they had been doing a whole bunch of nonsense uh, too. Uh, and uh, nobody has been watching what's been going on because it's all focused on the idiocy of the Tea Party. Now, when I say the Tea Party fades, you say, what? And I say, well, I don't know that it's going to fade too much by the next election, but I think it will not be a factor long after that. And it may disappear even, it, it's, its clout may disappear sooner. Uh, so I think we, we can all uh, say a little prayer for uh, the Tea Party. Uh, and hope that it goes away faster than it might otherwise. Bob Hines, tell me a story. Alan Moore said something that uh, when we were talking earlier today about gerrymandering of a district, which is something that Al Swift and I have been talking as we talked to students uh, in the last four or five years. I would hope that sometime uh, this fall, uh, we will be able to have a conversation, maybe using a, maybe talking about how to fix the problems in the Congress today. There are a number of things that need to be done, but one of the most important things that we need to restructure is the way the congressional districts are are created by the congressional delegations talking to their friends in the state legislature and you know providing districts that look like all kinds of crazy gerrymanders. Because one of the things that is most important is you should not be worried about the person in your own party who's, who, who is strongly left or right or you. You should be worried about the other party, and we're not. And we need to have a conversation like that in this group, maybe to help people understand how important it is that the redistricting system is broken. We've got to fix it, and if we can't fix it, we may never get a Congress that is truly speaking for the American public as a whole. And I want a pink unicorn for Christmas, too. Uh, it means crap. Tell me pink. a story. Pink? <laughs> wow, I'm not sure how I'm going to transition this one. But there is a very interesting election that's occurring in the state of Massachusetts today. Oh, yeah, we forgot to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it's like... And Marky Gomez, yeah, we know. You know, and, and the question would be... You know, if Ed Markey does win on the Senate side, how is that going to impact energy and commerce? And by that, I mean health energy and commerce. He has been a very significant player on yes, energy and commerce for the and past. Yes, he has for almost 40 years. So if all of a sudden he goes up to the Senate, who is going to step into Ed Markey's shoes, and what are they going to do, and what is their priorities? Um, I'm going to make a prediction right now. All right, I know that polls haven't closed in my home state of Massachusetts, but I'm going to make a prediction which violates the agreement that, Al, you had with Bob back in election days when you were on the Hill, and Marky wins that, that, that office. Uh, Alan Moore, tell me a story. Bold. Boy, there was a bold, bold statement. I know, I know, I know. Hold me back. My finger on the pulse of Bay State politics. You know, and Marky wins the Senate race. Alan Moore, tell me a story. I think it, uh, reflecting on the fact that we today and the news shows for days and weeks have been have been talking about immigration. Today, it's we we talked about voting rights. Um, we've had the the Snowden case. Um, we even had the the the, the farm bill and, and a and a little uh, a little uh, dab of Paula Deen. 
Um, but, what I'm, but, but what I'm reflecting on, what I'm, what I'm reflecting on is, is the fact that the issue that Americans care about, have cared about, cared about last week, last month, last year, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, is jobs. And there is amazing to me, not about us, but about the Congress and, and sort of the dialogue in the country, about how little attention the economy is getting. We had this little r- rise in the in the in employment. The, in, in, well, no, 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 in in, in Wall Street uh, and and the stock market, um, and uh, and now we've, we lost most of those gains uh, in the last few days. A lot of uncertainty. Seventy six percent of American families live paycheck to paycheck, and only. 24%, a third of those have as much as three months of savings to get through a hump. Um, it's, it is really, really tough out there, and it really is way past time. And I'm not, it's not the first time that we've said it, we've said it often, but this Congress, if it doesn't return some focus to long term deficit reduction in the form of entitlement reform, and tax reform, all this other stuff is rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Wow, good point. Hey, um, Port Authority, New York, New Jersey has an interesting situation. Apparently, $1.2 million was stolen in a Goodfellas Lufthansa-esque type theft off of a Swiss air flight coming from Zurich to JFK. The Port Authority has not issued comment, only to say that it is under investigation, but... Airline security comes into play. Where was the money stolen? How and by who? And now customs, treasury, what, what? What are you playing, Carl? It's my story. Yes, but are you going to give Carl's story? No, he's no, He's cut off. He's cut off. He's cut off. You ruined my story. You know what? I'm done. You know what? On behalf of... Oh, you want... You have one I minute. Say, I had a little thing. I, I want I want Alan to know that I will still be his friend. He's obviously forgotten one thing with all his comments about politics. What's that? Said, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Oh, there we go. <laughs> On behalf of the National Organization of Women President Al Swift, on behalf of Bob Hines, Denise Krep, Alan Moore, Carl Thuman, I'm your moderator. I was your moderator, Justin Russell, until this became anarchy. We'll leave that. By the way, best of shows next two weeks. We wish everybody a happy 4th of July. Next two weeks. That's right, you get two weeks off now. Uh, next two weeks will be best of. We will be back on July 12th. It will be our next live show. I'm sure we're going to have buttloads to talk about. But best of shows next two weeks. Special thanks to our producer, Alyssa Bump, and all of our friends, Nick Maverick, Alex, everybody. Appreciate your help. Check out the website, backroompolitics.org. This has been Backroom Politics, live on Ball Talk Radio from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This is, this is the place to be, and we'll be back live in two weeks. That's right, folks. Have a great two weeks. Happy Fourth of July, America. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.